So the reading today is Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16, which is on page 1175, the Pew Bibles. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy to us. I'm so grateful this morning, the way that you have uniquely made each one of us. Not one of us is the same as the other. I pray, Father, as we spend time in your word and over this Lent season, that you would help us to see you more clearly to see others more clearly, and to see ourselves more clearly. And Holy Spirit, would you continue your work of transforming us into your image, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I uh, became a vicar, I worked in the NHS for probably over 15 years. And in that time, I did a range of jobs Lots of them financial, but a range of them managerial as well. And the NHS was a great place to work, um, probably still is, I haven't done it for a while. It's full of amazing people, but it's also very complex. And the culture was often very challenging to work in as a Christian. You know, one of the things when you're a bit jaded and things are a bit difficult in your job, I don't know where you've worked in your life, whether you've worked in your life, but one of the things we used to say 
when we worked in hospitals, said, you know, hospitals would be the most amazing place to be if it wasn't for patients. If it wasn't for the patients who get in the way of making our lives difficult in trying to get things done. But you see, the NHS, and one of the things I gradually learned from the first day I joined, is a massive people organization, both in terms of the people that are, go there for treatment, but also the people who are part of giving uh, the treatment. And actually, over 15 years of time working in the NHS, um, a huge amount of energy and time and wisdom was invested in me by a whole host of people to try and help me do my job better, to try and help me understand the people I work with better, and try and help myself, help me understand myself better so that actually the contribution I would make would be positive, not negative. That's one of the ways I'll put it uh, today. And so actually a huge amount of energy was put into that to try and do that. And I benefited massively from a range of things as part of that. One of the things that was curious, though, to me is that, that when I would go to church, I would often find that that kind of understanding of ourselves um, wouldn't necessarily be there. We'd be full of enthusiastic people, people who wanted to know a lot about the Bible, maybe, or were really into worship, or wanted to do social outreach, or whatever else it was. But actually, the church wasn't full of conversations about identity, about purpose, about some honesty, about where people are up to. Um, and actually, it was quite difficult to create a place to do that. Actually, a place of self-awareness and finding a place, a culture where it feels safe to talk about where you actually are. One of the things about that, then, is that actually things can become quite confused. So what we do is we generally rely on things like structures or PCCs or put our faith in particular leaders, and that maybe that's how you feel. If I pray really hard, hope things might go well. But actually, people didn't seem to be clearer of who we are, how we were made, what God might be purposing for our lives, what we're called to do with our lives, how we can make um, a contribution, a positive contribution. And the way I would put it, because that's one of the phrases I like, how do we, as Christians, display God's splendor? You see, all of us, um, maybe different ways, will want to be able to say that there's some people around us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our work colleagues, who would love to experience something of the good news of Jesus. And I've said before, and one of the, the challenges of living in this generation is we have the most amazing treasure to share with other people. Treasure like no other. Yet somehow it seems really difficult to actually get that across to people, to enable people to, to experience that and to touch that and to taste that and to be part of that. So as I headed off about 12 or 13 years ago to theological college, I was interested to see what resources, what things are out there that actually help the church function in a different way. I was looking during my training and I was going for a, 
uh, one of the things at the end of my training, I was looking for a church, and this is an example of something that happened to me that made me even more passionate about what we're going to look at. I was looking to become a curate somewhere, and nothing was working out where I was, and I, I looked, and I was going to this, think about going to this church in Winchester where I eventually ended up going. And I remember talking to four or five people we knew, and uh, this was a church, uh, a largest church in Winchester, and they said, well, don't go there. Independently, four or five different people said, don't go there. And I got into conversation and say, well, why? And then they'd give me their reasons why they thought going there would not bless me, but actually would be the opposite of that. Now, that was quite a curious experience. Because why would a group of Christians talk about the church and say bluntly, that will curse you, don't do it. And I found that quite disturbing. You may not, but I did. I found that quite unsettling. And actually as part of that though, it started to help me understand a little bit more why we find it difficult to forgive some type of people some type of churches, we're looking for certain types of churches, certain types of leaders, and actually others we're prepared to give a wide berth to, while others we'll actually love. And so it got me thinking a lot, it enabled me to do, as part of my curacy, to think a little bit more about this and to study around some of these things. And actually we're going to do that over Lent, just take a little bit of time to look essentially at this one verse in, in Ephesians 4. The church leader who's quite well known these days, John Wimber of the Wimyard Movement, famously said this. He says, church is a place where everybody gets to play. Church is a place where everybody gets to play. Every Christian has the privilege of being called into God's plans and purposes to serve God, to serve his kingdom. As a church, we have for generations, even way before I even came along, and as part of a Simeon's Trust Church, we believe in every member ministry. Christians are called to be Christ's ambassadors, to display God's splendor in the world. And my study at college, and also subsequently, basically got me meditating a lot on essentially these verses in Ephesians. The church living as God intended it to be growing in Christ-likeness, overflowing with Christ's fullness, blessing others. So let me just read you Ephesians 4:11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. So actually, I'm going to suggest to you, and we're going to do it here on Sundays, we're going to take Lent to reflect on what's called the fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, there's some people call them shepherds, but also pastors and teachers. How God has made us and how we can make a contribution in the world. That actually God has given us this. There are things that God has placed in us that mean that we are uniquely placed to bless others in a way that other people aren't necessarily able to do that. And I may unashamedly say this is practical theology. It's about daily living. It's about daily choices and how that 
works out. One of the things I get to do, and apologies if I'm sort of laying a sort of fairly tough uh, groundwork to then try and explain it, is, is that one of the sadnesses for me was that I've, as part of conversations I've had, I come across people who, when I get into very honest conversations, they feel a huge sense of unworthiness in their Christian life, that somehow they haven't done what God planned for them. And that's kind of heart-wrenching. Because in a sense, I said, well, well, what would you think, you know, would please God? Why is it you feel that way? So, well, you know, I haven't led 50 people to Jesus. So your only criteria for living a Christian life is to convert people. And actually, if you don't do that, then everything else is not worth it. Or, you know, chat to other people and say, well, the only thing I'd do is if, you know, if I'm not feeding the poor. Really, I've just sat and I've sat in my room, I've prayed, I've read the Bible, of which that's not worth it. So what would it mean to please God then? What would it mean to please God? And how can we do that? Okay, so I'm just going to very briefly take you through Ephesians 4 super quickly. Sorry, I shouldn't describe it like that, should I? Uh, there, but if you've got it in front of you, um, book of Ephesians incredibly high bar for the church, the church at its best in many ways, Christians at their best longing for Christians and the church to live out of the fullness of Christ. Paul has just prayed the prayer that I prayed at the beginning of the service from Ephesians 3. It's an extraordinary prayer for the church that we would grow in the fullness of Christ. Now, he says, out of that fullness, now out of the fullness of all Christ is and all he's done for us. Now live a life worthy of the calling I've placed on your life. Every bit of it. Live out of the unity of the Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's one body, one church, one baptism. Live out to the life of God. Yet within the body there is God-given gifts to the church, Paul goes on to, to talk about God has given it to you. Noticed, notice if you notice the language in verse 11, you'll see that he's given it to you. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, or teachers. Grace has been given. It's actually, if you want to get technical for a minute, it's in the aorist tense. It has been given. It's a once and for all. God has formed some things in us as part of his spirit dwelling within us. This fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, has been given to the church for his ministry. It's not my ministry. It's not your ministry. It's his ministry. Because it's what's its intention is not to build us up, it's to build up the church. To build up the church. For building up and completing of the body. To enable the church to be what God planned it to be. A place, if you look at the language and some of the, um, some of the writings around these, uh, these verses, you know, some of the sense you get is God is equipping us, has given us, he's mending us, he's perfecting us, he's joining us together, he's putting things in the right order. He's strengthening us, fulfilling us, he's healing us for the work of ministry. 
This vision of a five-fold ministry is a vision, I would argue, of wholeness, of unity and diversity, of fullness and maturity. Why? So we look a little bit more like Jesus, where individually we just look like bits of Jesus, but together, together we look more like Jesus. So we're going to spend Lent looking in turn at these five different fivefold ministry in each turn. And I offer it to you because I think it's scripture. I offer it to you because I think um, that you will recognize some of these things in your own heart, in your own life. I also think it makes sense of lots of things that we really struggle with. I think it helps understand God a bit better, understand each other a bit better, which is no bad thing, and help us understand ourselves. So I'm just going to finish. So I'm really just setting the scene. Then over the next few weeks, we'll... Um, look in more detail. So just very quickly, um, fivefold. Let me give you five quick definitions of what these five things are. Okay. Just to give you a flavor and then we'll explore them. So apostles. Apostles recognize they're sent by God. They are missional. They're visionary. They're pioneering. And they love pushing into new territory. They want to see the church healthy and they want to see it reproduce. And they always want to make sure that the the church stays faithful to its basic core DNA. And they don't want to depart from that. Prophets are the ones who listen particularly to hear God's voice. The prophets foretell and foretell. I haven't got time to talk about the difference about God's revelation. And they seek to get a picture of what God wants, not just generally, but what God wants now, what season we're in, and what we're called to do next. They want to call you into what you do next. Evangelists, one of the most common ones we talk about, love to share the good news of Jesus with others. They reach into the world beyond the church walls, and they know God's word and want to find ways of connecting with people beyond the church walls in our generation. Shepherds or pastors, depending on how you want to call it, we'll recognize as well, they're the people who want to tend and care for God's people and do so with a very tender heart. They see needs everywhere. They love to encourage other people. And they find ways of providing comfort for those who are in need. They particularly love to spend time with other Christians and are very empathetic and very patient with other people. Teachers are excited by the truth, the truth of God's word, and look for ways to explain, enlighten, and apply that truth in people's lives and day to day. God has given these gifts, these functions in a way you might want to think of it, to his people to enable his church to fulfill its calling in the world. And they function together. They function together. And they're needed together for the church to be full and the church to be whole. So my encouragement to you as I kind of set stall in the sense other people will also preach as well, is just to take time this Lent to think. God has a purpose for each one of our lives. That's not dependent on how old you are. It's got nothing to do with what background you've had. Not 
how educated you are, not to do with your social status. God has good plans for you. But actually to take time to walk, to pray, to listen, to read, to meet with others, to talk, to share, and maybe just to hear the still small voice of God saying, come to me, come to me, receive what I have for you, live for me. Let's pray. wonder whether as you've got your eyes closed and uh, maybe you just want to open your hands on your lap you don't have to but sometimes it's a sign of openness to to God And I want to thank you this morning that you, in, you know each person here by name. That every hair on our head is numbered. There's nothing about us that you don't understand. Father, thank you that you love us. And even though in this morning we might sit there and have all these voices in our own head, in a sense, telling us who we think we are, just ask, Lord, that you would still those voices this morning. Free us from comparison with other people that's actually really unhelpful. Would you liberate us from the confusion about how you've made us or, or what we're made to do or to be? But also, would you affirm us again this morning? Do you love us? Father, would you help us to lay aside all that's unhelpful, to take it to the foot of the cross? Maybe it's our past that we think somehow means that God would never use us because we've done so many bad things. Maybe it's constant failings and habits. Maybe it's frailty or illness that just consumes us. We take it afresh to the foot of your cross and say, Lord, would you come afresh upon us? Would we receive your mercy and your grace this day? Fresh mercy, fresh grace. And Father, I pray particularly that you would help us this Lent to draw nearer to you.
In Jesus' name, amen.